Here we go. Unreasonable grace. Hopefully you have your bulletin with you. Last week we started Matthew chapter uh, 12. Last Sunday we're picking up with verse 15 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12 verse 14. We're in this section where Matthew records several occasions where the Pharisees are challenging Jesus. They are looking for what in their mind would be a justifiable reason to arrest and kill Jesus. First, they questioned Jesus' work ethic on the Sabbath. And Jesus, in response, he declares that he is Lord even over the Sabbath. Oh, I love that part. And then he goes and miraculously healed this man with a deformed hand, proving he doesn't just declare that he is Lord over the Sabbath. He does something supernatural and proves that he is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, Jesus is going to answer another question. Uh, the question, is he really God's servant? And this morning while I was going through my notes, I'm like, Brent, you should have put chosen in there. So feel free to write on your bulletin and write a little, you know what an upside down carrot is? Just make a little, a little arrow between God's and chosen, I mean servant, and then write in the word chosen. So it's God's chosen servant. I read that from 1 Peter 1 this morning about God choosing Christ to pay for your salvation. Stay for second service. I, I have a feeling we're going to get raptured in second service. You guys will have already heard my sermon, so it won't even matter. See, that was funny in my head. Matthew 12, 15. Number one, here we go. God's peaceful servant. Love this. God's peaceful servant. But Jesus knew what they were planning, what they, the Pharisees. But Jesus knew what they were planning. So he left the area, and many people followed him. Why? Because they're intrigued with who he is. He healed all the sick among them, but he warned them not to reveal who he was. I think that's a very curious last phrase there. Jesus was not ready for the Pharisees to arrest him. He knew what they were up to. His time had not yet come. So Jesus left the area where he had problems with the Sabbath conversation. Uh, part of being a peaceful person is the ability to restrain power. Does that make sense? Part of being a peaceful person is the ability to restrain power. Being peaceful is not the absence of power. I think sometimes our culture does that, that a peaceful man is, is uh, understood to be a weak man. That's not necessarily true. It's not true at all. Being peaceful is not the absence of power. It's not weakness. It's the restraint of power. Jesus was on a mission to prove that he was the Messiah by doing the work of the Messiah. He doesn't just declare that he is the Messiah and then say, you better believe me. No, 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 no. He comes and declares that he is the Messiah and then he does the work of the Messiah. Jesus didn't come. Uh, he was not sent here to earth to vaporize evil people. Just take a moment and let you absorb that. <laughs> Some of you think your spiritual gift is vaporizing spiritual uh, evil people, Right? Jesus knew, I'm giggling because I don't know if y'all are taking that serious or not, or just that was not good. Just get quiet. 
hmm, what is he saying? That I shouldn't vaporize people when I'm driving? Uh, he knew the Pharisees intended to kill him. They wanted to arrest him on whatever charge they could figure out and then kill him. Leaving that region was a reasonable plan for keeping the peace at this point in time. Jesus goes to another region. He continues to heal all the sick. He continues to minister people to minister to the people that just like he had in other places, he continues doing as the Messiah does. He heals the sick and then he tells them not to, the, a very literal translation would be not to make him known. That's interesting. Don't, don't go make me known. Don't go advertising who healed you and what happened. Jesus is being very aware of how much attention he's drawing to himself. I want you to, are you hearing me? Jesus is doing miraculous things, proving that he's the Messiah, and then saying, hey, don't go shouting this to everybody. Don't go advertising. Don't tell everybody who I am. Just, this is for you. He's not, Jesus is not renting out concert halls and running ads in the local newspaper. I don't know if they had newspapers or not. Jesus is not putting up billboards advertising healing rallies. He could could have. He is simply, this is the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus. Jesus himself comes to earth. He doesn't advertise a whole lot. He just ministers to people. He simply is living life, being with the people, spending time with them, loving them, serving them, healing them when they need to be healed, just ministering to him. There's no spectacle, there's no show, and don't tell everybody. I think there's a model there that's just brilliant. Matthew tells us about Jesus's peaceful servitude, servitude to people. He tells the story about his peaceful servitude to people to make this point. That gets us to verse 17. Now, in Matthew 12, 17, he's going to quote from Isaiah 42, from the prophet Isaiah in verses 1 through 4. The, the passage actually goes on talking about the Christ coming, um, but Matthew only uses verses 1 through 4. So Matthew tells the story about Jesus being peaceful, and then he says, now look, all right? So verse 17, this fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him, the Christ. Isaiah said, look at my servant. Isaiah's the prophet of God. He's speaking the voice of God. So God's speaking through him. So whenever we see the word I here, he's talking about who? Not Isaiah. That was very weak, but God. Okay. We're like, God is, we're at church. Either God or Jesus is the right answer. If that's not it, love. We don't know. What are, what, he's put us on the spot. Who is I? I'm lost in the pronouns. Look at my servant, God says, whom I have, what? Chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. Right, we saw that at the baptism of Jesus. I will put my spirit upon him. That's important. And he will claim, he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout, 
or raise his voice in public, well, then how is he going to proclaim justice to the nations? I don't know, but God says he will. He's not going to fight. He's not going to shout. He's not going to raise his voice in public. He will not, he will not crush. This is a metaphor, by the way. I think we miss this often. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He's demonstrating Jesus' gentle character. Finally, he, the Christ, will cause justice to be victorious without raising his voice, without fighting in peace. He's going to cause justice to be victorious. And his name will be hope, will be the hope, pardon me, and his name will be the hope of all the world. World, world, world. I have to do my own sound effects. Ah, when God the Father explained what the Messiah, the Christ, would be like to the Jewish people through the prophet Isaiah, he described a servant chosen by the Father, covered by the Holy Spirit, proclaiming justice, not fighting or shouting, but kind and gentle. And even in his gentle way, he will cause justice to be victorious. That is like this quiet, subtle power. His name will be the hope of all the world. Not because he was forceful or pushy or loud or demanding or arrogant, but simply because Jesus comes as God's peaceful servant. Number two, God's powerful servant, God's peaceful servant, God's powerful servant. Verse 22, then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak. I'm having a distracting thought. Sometimes when we go through these longer passages, we break them apart and teach them separately. Um, and then we miss the grand point of what's going on in the full part of the text. So we start, chapter 12 really begins a whole theme. And so the reason that I'm going through a whole lot of text this morning is because I want you to keep that all in your brain, okay? So we have Jesus, the peaceful servant, but then there's this connection to the next section here and, and even to the third section that typically we take apart. And I'm telling you, we need to keep these all together because they, when we keep them all together, it gives us a fuller understanding of what the individual parts mean. That makes sense? You know, it's the blind guys, the three blind guys that they are all introduced to the elephant. And what do you, what do you think this is? And one guy grabs the trunk and he says, uh, I think that this is a, a tree branch. <clears throat> the guy touches it in the middle and he says, I think this is a wall. The other guy grabs the tail and says, I think this is a rope. We do that with scripture sometimes where we, we get all, we, we do this where we're just going to really delve in deep into scripture. And what we miss is the big picture. So we need the big picture of chapter 12. That was extra by the, by the way. Okay. Then a demon-possessed man. We have to look at the broad, the broad amount of text here. Uh, what is the broad meaning? A demon-possessed man who was blind, picture this, he was blind and he couldn't speak, was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and asked could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? Oh, you think? He's doing miraculous things. Hmm. 
If a person shows up and declares themselves a god, we would dismiss them and we would expect their next address to be at a mental facility. Right? I mean, in America, come on, we've been through this multiple times where somebody decides they're Jesus. We, we commit them or shoot them. Uh, <laughs> this man, this man in verse 22, uh, pardon me, Jesus, the difference is, is that Jesus comes and claims that he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, but then he heals the sick. He heals all the sick. He does some supernatural things. So now we have this man in verse 22. He's not sick. His blind eyes and his inability to speak are not caused by an infectious disease. He has a spiritual problem. He is possessed by a demon. There is a demonic spirit that has taken control of his mouth and his ears. The demon holds power over this man and that, that does not, the demon does not allow him to see or hear. Are you with me? A demonic presence in this man who controls part of his faculties. This man uh, evidently has people who care about him because they brought him to Jesus. They, these people have heard about this man, Jesus, who heals the sick and he's cast out demons before. They bring their friend to Jesus and Jesus, Thomas brought this up whenever he preached several weeks ago and I have totally missed it. Matthew is very succinct in telling his stories. He never elaborates. It's like there was a demon possessed man and Jesus healed him and now we're on to the next point. So I feel the need to fill in the blanks. <laughs> they bring their friend to Jesus and Jesus healed the man so that he could both speak and see. Matthew tells it very as a matter of fact. This is what happens. You don't need to know all the details. You just know, need to know that Jesus healed the man by casting out the demon. And the crowd was amazed. They recognized, a group of people watching Jesus minister, recognized that right before their very eyes, Jesus had supernaturally cast out a demon and healed this man. They witnessed Jesus performing a supernatural healing. And that led them to the question, could this be the Son of God? Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? This man, Jesus, he supernaturally demonstrates power like the Messiah would demonstrate. These people recognize the power of Jesus being messianic, being pointing toward God, being supernatural. Now, the Pharisees, they went an entirely different direction with this miracle. Verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, <clears throat> they said, no wonder he can cast out demons he gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. So the regular people, the common people, they see this happen and they assume that Jesus healed by the power of God and therefore he could be the Christ. That seems rational. The Pharisees, when they see what's happening or hear what's happening, whether they believed it or not, they said, Jesus healed by the power of Satan. 
So Jesus speaks to their irrational thoughts in verse 25. Jesus knew their thoughts and he replied, any kingdom, this is another one of those parts that we take out of context and preach it on its own, but it fits into the grander idea here. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, any kingdom, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You can see why we extract this and preach on it. It's pretty profound. Verse 26, and if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I am empowered by Satan, Jesus is speaking here, he says, and if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcist? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. It's kind of This is kind of point one in Jesus' defense, or as the thought progresses here. It makes no sense that Jesus, or anyone for that matter, would cast out demons by the power of Satan. That's number one. It makes no sense that someone would cast out demons by the power of Satan. The principle being any kingdom, town, or family divided by civil war Fighting in itself is doomed. That just makes pretty good sense. That's very logical. Shake your head yes, even if you don't agree with me. That is very logical. If there is infighting, you are doomed. The principle is any kingdom, any town, any family, any church divided by civil war is doomed. If spouses are divided against each other, Their marriage is doomed. Oh, Brent, we just spat a little bit. It's no big deal. I think that God disagrees with you, but who am I? (laughs) If parents are divided against their kids, the family is doomed. If churches are divided against other believers, the church is doomed. What is true in the natural is also true in the supernatural. The Pharisees were in effect accusing Satan of working against Satan. This is not the first time that the Pharisees have been irrational and offered really dumb comments. Right? Oh, don't look at me like I'm a terrible person. You were thinking similar things. The Pharisees were accusing Satan of working against Satan, and then they go, yep, that makes sense. Jesus' response is, even Satan knows better than to do that. Right? Satan knows better than to fight against himself. Remember that whenever you work against the people God has placed in your life. Not even Satan does that. I had a t-shirt idea this morning. It's going to say, don't be dumber than the devil. For people that fight, we're going to give them a t-shirt that says, I'm dumber than the devil. I'm kidding. 
Satan knows better than, he knows that infighting is going to destroy the kingdom. So he's not going to do that. It makes no sense. It's a simple concept that has broad application. Now, listen to what Jesus says. He's going to make the next logical progression. So in verse 28, he says, but if I am casting out, so but, here's the contrast. But if I'm casting out demons by the spirit of God, as opposed to Jesus casting out demons by the power of Satan, he says, what if, what if I'm casting out demons by the spirit of God? Then the logical conclusion is the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God has arrived among You, Pharisees, take that. (laughs) For who, then he explains himself, for who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? That puts puts an image in your mind, right? And then Jesus answers his question. Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his whole house. Oh, Jesus is a bad dude. Here's the second point in Jesus's making his case for who he is, the servant of God. If Jesus is casting out demons by the power of the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. Here's the deal. Christ, the Messiah, is here. That's his point. The Messiah has arrived. Jesus is peacefully but powerfully proving himself again. But in case they missed the point, Jesus illustrates it because, you know, we need, uh, we need like one of those yellow books that's like uh, power for dummies. So the Pharisees are having some problems making sense of things, so Jesus explains it in an illustration. No one goes into the house of a strong man, uh, in, our, in our culture, an armed man, a well-armed man. No concealed carry on me, man. <laughs> Standing at the front door with a shotgun, I dare you to come in, Right? No one goes into that strong man's house unless that person who's going to come in is stronger. See what's happening? Larry said, unless he has a tank. So, So you're being the bad guy standing at the door with your shotgun. God pulls up in a tank. Shoot me, I dare you. Unless the one coming into the house is more powerful, then the stronger, more powerful man, the invader in the story, would tie up the little wimpy homeowner who in this story is Satan or the demon. Are you making the connections? And then the the invader would do whatever he wanted, plunder the whole house. Jesus would do that. He's God. I like the way you're looking at me. You don't like that, do you? I don't write the scriptures. I just get excited about them. 
Jesus' whole point of telling this story is you guys are so worried about the demons. No one can go in the house of the demon and take him unless they are stronger. And I, in case you missed it, we just, I, Jesus, just cast the demon out of this man and we can see it because now he can see and he can hear. So we know that Jesus is the strong man who comes into the house and does what he wants. You mean he's going to come into my life and do whatever he wants? You got a better idea? You got something better than God being glorious in your life? Don't be dumber than the devil. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is powerful to cast out Satan's demons and to heal the sick. Jesus has proven that he is God's chosen and powerful Messiah. And he does it in peace. I mean, he threatens to be the strong man, but he does it peacefully. And then Jesus masterfully, oh, I just looked at the clock. You guys hurry up, pay attention. Then Jesus brings it full circle. Listen carefully to what he says. We still have seven verses to get through. Here we go, verse 30. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Jesus points out, number one, the kingdom of God, pardon me, a kingdom divided cannot stand. That's first point. This is not a divided kingdom. Jesus is not working against Jesus. Satan is not working against Satan. Jesus is, in fact, working against Satan. Number two, the kingdom of God is present. It is here. Number three, you are either a part of the kingdom of God or you are against Jesus. There's no neutral state. I think we pull this in modern Christianity. Well, Brent, we're not all like you that gets all excited about scripture. We're just kind of calm and we're kind of just living our Christianity quietly so that we don't offend anybody. We don't want to invade and we sure don't want to be invaded. So let's just not be a strong man. Let's just be wimpy Christians and no one will say anything. I know I just stepped in political (laughs) poo-poo. Jesus has just demonstrated his power over Satan by casting out the demon. The proof has been observed by a whole bunch of people, including the Pharisees. And Jesus comes to this point and he says, now choose your side. Let's not play games. Either you're a part of the kingdom of God or you're against the kingdom of God. If you're going to be in opposition to Jesus, if you are going to work against him, you cannot claim to also be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Now, of course, he's speaking to the Pharisees who are saying, we are servants of God. We're leaders of the Jewish uh, community. We're important and we're here to represent God and not Jesus. And he says, no, no, no. You are either for me. You are either in the kingdom of God or you are against me. Let's define the teams clearly. You are not on my side. Number three, God's good servant. Verse 31, he says, so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. He's speaking to the Pharisees, okay? Get this question a lot. What is the unforgivable sin? 
Now I have your attention. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. So what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, even in the, ever in, either in this world or in the world to come. So the unforgivable sin. By the power of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus, we've read that in two different texts this morning, in Isaiah and 1 Peter, he cast out the demon. By the power of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus, he cast out the demon. The Pharisees say that it was by the power of Satan. They attributed a work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. Do you follow? Jesus, Jesus's rebuke is as direct and offensive as it can possibly be. Jesus says, I'm rewording this so it's a little more understandable to us. He says, you are not only against me, but you are against the Holy Spirit. And that is unforgivable. For all of those who want to be Switzerland and be neutral spiritually, no, be very careful. Jesus' rebuke continues in the following verses. We often take these verses out of context when Jesus is rebuking the, the Pharisees, but um, as we read it, it's pretty, it has very clear application to you and I and, and how we live today. Uh, but he's, he's, the audience, the immediate audience when Jesus is speaking is to the Pharisees. So watch what he does. He says, a tree, verse 33. He says, a tree, I only got about 30 more minutes of notes. A tree is identified by its fruit. Okay, that's pretty simple. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of vipers. There's my King James days coming out. Okay. Jesus, Jesus just called his audience a brood of snakes. I may call you dummies, but I don't call you snakes. I don't know which is worse. You brood of vipers, you brood of snakes. How could evil men like you, the Pharisees, speak what is good and right? Well, we're Pharisees, we're teachers of the law. We uphold the law of Moses to the letter and the spirit. We don't let anything go by us without calling it sin. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what comes out of your mouth, what you say. He says a good person produces Good things from the treasury of a good heart. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Jesus speaks to the heart of the Pharisees' problem. There was, a, there was evil 
in their hearts. It was not good. It was evil. So they produced evil things like wanting to arrest Jesus when they didn't have a real reason, for wanting to kill Jesus, for just wanting to be jerks. There was evil in their hearts, so they produced evil things. They said evil things, like accusing Jesus of casting out a demon by the power of Satan, when it was actually the Holy Spirit. They said evil things that they didn't need to. They accused, the, they accused Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit of being satanic. Jesus says, what is in your heart is evil. You just proved it by what came out of your mouth. You okay? Do we need to do an altar call right now? Jesus arrives, he heals people, he casts out demons, he does his best to keep the peace. Jesus is God's good servant. The fruit proves it. Yet they accuse him, the Pharisees accuse him of being unholy or unrighteous because he blesses people on the Sabbath and because he demonstrates power over Satan. The evil in their hearts, listen carefully, this, this is where it becomes very applicable to us. The evil in their hearts, it's always easier to see the evil in somebody else, right? I'm getting there. The evil in their hearts produced their words and their actions much more than their ability to simply be reasonable. Does that make sense? The evil in their heart is what was showing through in their words and actions, not their ability to be reasonable. If I could only get people to understand this principle, I used to say sin makes you stupid, but then I got corrected for saying stupid. So sin will make you as dumb as the devil, dumber than the devil. The evil in you will come out. No, Brent, I hide it really well. No, it will come out. It will come out arrogantly, it will arrogantly declare that it is right and that truth is wrong. I'm going to try this again because I want you to internalize these words. Evil in you will arrogantly declare that it is right and that truth is wrong. You know that person? I mean, I mean are you that person? <laughs> I know I'm right. Truth is staring you in the face and you're like, nope, truth is wrong, I am right. Evil in your heart will divide you from God. Evil in your heart will divide you from your family. Evil in your heart will divide your marriage and your church. Evil causes chaos in relationships. It just does. And while I'm saying that, I can hear the thoughts. Well, I think that we can, we, we'll be all right. No, that's the evil making you illogical. You have to have unity. You have to have love. You have to get along. Where there's division, there's evil. Actually, where there's evil, there's gonna be division. You with me? Evil in your heart will make you an arrogant fool, just like the Pharisees in this story. Verse 36, and I tell you this, I, after saying all that, I want you to understand, 
I, whenever I catch myself being very confident of what I believe to be true, that's whenever I take a step back and say, okay, Brent, I've, I've stuck my neck out there enough times in pride and got my face slapped, figuratively. I mean, you don't get to 50 without learning one or two things. The more confident I am in what I believe, the more I step back and say, I'm going to let the fools talk while I listen and just, you okay? (laughs) I like the way you're looking at me. I have no idea where I'm at in my notes. Verse 36, and I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. Oh, oh. The word you say will either acquit you or condemn you. I mean, God's, Jesus is putting a lot of, of power in the words that we speak. Jesus has just made a solid case for evil, the evil in the hearts of the Pharisees. The words that come out of their mouths are an indication of what is in their hearts. They'll stand before God one day on judgment day. Each of their words that they've spoken, accounted for, and considered by God. Are you understanding the application here? This is just the Pharisees. Oh, no, no, sweetheart. What is in our heart? Good or evil? What comes out of your mouth? But Brent, we're not saved by our words. No, you're not saved by your words. But your words reveal what's in your heart. And so if your words are evil, don't be a fool. If your words are evil, don't be a fool. Well, Brent, I have justification for speaking harshly because it gets my kids' attention or my wife's attention or my employee's attention. I have to, you know, really tell them. And no, 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 no. If evil comes out of your out of your mouth, it is because there is evil in your heart. Don't let the evil fool you, please. Pharisees will stand before God. God will evaluate the words that came out of their mouths because it's a great indication of what's in their heart. Jesus doesn't even give the Pharisees room to squirm here. Here are the facts. You will be judged by God for the content of your heart based on the words that come out of your mouth. Pretty sobering, isn't it? While Jesus is speaking directly to the Pharisees here, what Jesus says applies to all of us. We can claim to know God. We can claim to know God, and on Sunday morning, we can even claim to be fully devoted followers of Christ. But what comes out of our mouths the rest of the week? Whatever is in your heart, it will come bursting out in your words. Not when you want it to. <laughs> like... Brent's in an angry mood this morning. No, I'm not in an angry mood. I love you. And we make excuses for the words that come out of our mouths as if they make no difference. And that is a lie from the evil one. What comes out of your mouth is an indication of what is in your heart. And unfortunately, what comes out of our mouths is often, the evil that comes out of our mouths is often around the people that we love the most that we feel most careful, we feel most comfortable berating, 
letting them see the evil of our hearts. And then we say, well, why do my kids scream at me? Do you scream at them? You okay? I'll teach a parenting class one of these days. (laughs) It's just like squeezing a fruit. Whatever's on the inside is gonna come out. If what's on the inside is sour, then sour comes out. I feel like I'm explaining this to kindergartners. Like, Brent, we got this. No, no, we don't have it. As a church, we do not have it. If what is on the inside is sweet, then whenever you are squeezed, when life squeezes you, then sweet will come out. If what is good on the inside of you, if you have good inside, then life will squeeze the good out of you and people will see that. Is that making any sense? Now I'm just talking in circles. So I challenge you this morning. I got three minutes. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Oh man, I loved our songs this morning. Now that I got to preach, I'm fine with getting raptured, by the way. Second service, just missed it. The kingdom of God is here. Wow. Jesus has proven himself as Lord over all. Brent, I have all these problems. He's Lord over all. Even my kids, yes. You can reject him or you can receive him. If you reject him, evil will remain in your heart. Evil will remain in control of your life and even determine your eternity. If you receive him, if you will trust in him and let him transform your heart and your soul, then it will show today in your words because God will put good in your heart that'll be evident in the words that you speak and God's goodness God's goodness will be what determines your eternity.